0: Well, for those listening later, happy birthday, church. Happy Pentecost Sunday. It's such a significant moment in church history, and it's interesting that we still seem to pull out all the stops for Christmas, the coming of Jesus, for Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and maybe completely ignore or overlook the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost. Was it on your calendar? Was it on your radar today as you drew near to this place? And now we are surrounded by the cloud, and maybe, God may it be, the cloud of your presence and your glory. May we become more aware of your presence. But perhaps that ignorance or avoidance is not a cause but a reason for the lack of divine power within the church today. Tragically, it might mean that our relationship with the third person of the Trinity is little more than courtesy. He is worthy of our attention and pursuit consistently, not only on Pentecost Sunday, but certainly on Pentecost Sunday. So we'll step out of Mark, our series in Mark, into Acts, back into Acts, to preach through Acts and then Ephesians leading up to Mark with a little bit of Zephaniah in between this last few years. But look at the tight, or I say fairly tight, connection between Mark chapter 6 and Acts chapter 2, if you have devices, or the old-fashioned version. In Mark chapter 6, we looked at last week, the disciples are sent out by Jesus in pairs to the various towns and cities to preach the gospel, to represent Jesus, to make known the good news of the kingdom and the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus is Lord, to heal the sick, to confront evil spirits, and to set people free. And we, we, we had to imagine that they said to Jesus when he gave them their marching orders, Jesus, we're not ready. Don't send us yet, or come with us. And yet Jesus sent them anyway, knowing that they would return to him with much to celebrate in his authority, but also with a heightened dependence and awareness of their need upon him for his authority, for his wisdom, for his encouragement, and for his strength. He truly was becoming their life source. And until they went out in ministry without him, They didn't know the depth of their need. And so this is part of Jesus' discipleship. And here we are now in Acts 2. Fast forward, we see the disciples who Jesus says, I will be sending you out, but before you go, wait. Wait upon me for the empowering and the coming of the Holy Spirit because you will be my disciples. You will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in the surrounding region of Judea, even amongst Samaria, those people that you have this historical feud with and all peoples to the ends of the earth. And so there's a tight link. And I believe the disciples were even praying these same kinds of prayers that they prayed on mission in those first days, praying the prayers and promises of Jesus as they assembled. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were there together in one place. I believe seeking the Lord, awaiting upon Him, because that's what He told them to do. We learn from chap- from verse 5 of chapter 1, that there were about 120 assembled in this place, really out of fear of the persecution that could come if they continued to proclaim that Jesus was in fact Lord, Messiah, which would be uh, totally illegal to do in that Roman context where Caesar alone was Lord. Well, Pentecost simply means 50th. Penta. The 50th day after Passover. We celebrate it now as close to the 50th day after Easter, as those are often linked in our uh, remembrance, in our history, following Jesus' tradition. But for the Jews, for millennia, it was one of their major religious celebrations, holidays, feasts on the calendar. It was the beginning of the harvest of wheat, the first harvest. And so as they celebrated God's provision for another season, They were also praying for a great harvest, not just the wheat, but beyond with the other grains that would come later on in the season, praying for God to continue to grow and to provide because they'd done the work, they'd tilled and planted and prepared, but only God could bring the growth. And that was their rhythm of trust and dependence upon him. And so we enter into that rhythm in the same way. God, bring the growth, bring the harvest and bring more, bring a greater harvest than ever before. And that's what he was doing on Pentecost. No wonder he picked that day to pour out his Holy Spirit, because the greater harvest was coming, greater than any earthly harvest, but one that was eternal, one that was lives and souls coming into the kingdom of God. And on that day, on that fateful Pentecost day, around 3,000 would come to put their trust in Jesus, a whole different kind of harvest. And it surprised everyone who was present, though it shouldn't have if they had been remembering Jesus' promises and what he said would come to them if they waited upon him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, a a potential parallel passage to what we saw in Mark 6, although there's a little more detail here, so it could have been another time, but many scholars believe it was the same description, where not only did Jesus send out the 12 two-by-two, but 72 of his followers empowered them for the ministry of the kingdom, which is even more remarkable. In Luke 10, verse 2, he said to all of these disciples, these 72 The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest fields. I like to think that perhaps many of these 72 were assembled in the 120 in that room that day on Pentecost, having already experienced the being sent part of the mission and now the returning to Jesus, waiting upon him, needing him desperately waiting upon the coming of the spirit which was a great mystery of what that would mean and what that would do for them and the church and ultimately the influence for the rest of history and for the church of all times as jesus was about to pour out the spirit and bring a harvest of souls i believe they were praying some of these very same prayers he had told them pray earnestly for workers pray earnestly for the fields recognizing that is souls and lives and peoples They were likely praying and studying other scriptures as they came to mind, encouraging one another. I believe they were looking into the the prophetic words. uh, Well, that was the only Bible that they had, the Bible of Jesus, and the prophecies that were to come about the fulfillment when the Messiah comes. That would be Joel, Joel chapter 2. Peter will quote it and make a tight link saying, This is fulfilled, which makes me think it was upon their minds and maybe in their prayers as they were assembling there, waiting upon Jesus and the promise of the Spirit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It shall come to pass that I will, God says, pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Peter says, this is fulfilled in our midst today. And even if all of this was in their mind, the promises of Jesus, the prophetic words from their ancient scriptures, they were still unprepared for what happened next. Acts 2, verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Makes me think that the the taste we got of the winds blowing through these tents was just a meager one. Now, had that happened indoors, maybe we too would have been completely startled and brought to our knees, and maybe trembling in fear. The sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire space, the entire house where they were gathered. It was surprising to them, and yet maybe shouldn't have been as they were dwelling upon the promises of Jesus. Some of the famous words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Hebrew and the Greek words for spirit can also be translated wind or breath. And that's consistent through the Scriptures. God was blowing upon them from heaven. Just as Jesus had very recently for some of these disciples breathed upon them, his breath, a very interesting And weird thing if we don't understand the bigger context of the breath of God being equated with his very spirit and the promises of Jesus' spirit to come upon them. That's in John 20. Hard not to think also of Ezekiel 37, and I wonder if they were praying and meditating on that scripture as they were gathered. Ezekiel had a vision of this coming day when the spirit of God, the breath of God would blow so significantly that it would... It would raise the dead to life again. And whether that actually happened or was just an image of what God was doing or was going to do, it's it's seemingly fulfilled also on this Pentecost day. Let me read this extended passage and try to connect these dots to to Acts chapter 2. This is Ezekiel 37, verses 5 and following. Thus says the Lord God to these dry bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and, you will, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, Ezekiel says, I prophesied and as I was commanded. And as, as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling like the wind and bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and behold, sinews upon them, flesh had come upon them, skin covered them but there was no breath in them then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the four winds o breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly great army i like to think that not only is it just a vision but a vision coming to life for ezekiel it's almost like he can't tell the difference between what is merely a spiritual vision and what is actually going to occur, like, like he's seeing it from afar and even entering into it. We believe there's a spiritual fulfillment in the coming of the Spirit, just like this. Those who are dead spiritually come alive in the power of the Spirit. As we sang earlier, awaken my soul, wake me up, Lord, give me life, breathe upon me. I believe we'll sing that song later in just a few moments. Breathe upon us, God, give us life in the power of the Of your spirit. The Holy Spirit was bringing to life and raising up a whole new kind of army than even the one that Ezekiel could have imagined. An army of followers of Jesus filled with the Spirit that would transform the world. Just as God filled the tabernacle and the temple with His presence throughout the Old Testament and consecrated it, made it holy, God now fills His people, His church with his presence through the power of the Spirit and consecrates them, make them holy, set apart for his work. The Apostle Paul makes this connection in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you, you collectively, the church, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy, consecrated, and you are that temple. Not because of us, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the incredible grace of God. Well, first the Spirit comes, next, after the wind comes fire. Acts 2, verse 3, Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. Combine wind and fire, and what do you get? Intense heat, power, a furnace if contained, a wildfire if set free. So again, surprising and yet should not have been surprising, If you know the story of God and the way that he reveals himself in power and often in fire, from the burning bush, he speaks to Moses, although the bush is not consumed, but it is holy. And then leading his people in the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, the fire by night, resting upon the mountain where he speaks to Moses, gives them the law, coming down in fire upon the tabernacle for the first time, later upon the temple. An image of cloud and fire, God's presence, God's refining, His power, resting. There was always burning a candle, candles inside of the holy place in the temple to represent God's forever presence in fire, in light, and a reminder that He was with them. And on and on it goes, the image of fire and power, that mysterious thing. And now His divine spiritual fire rests upon each individual, Just as the presence of God is with his collective people, his church, it is also with individuals as they respond to Jesus and invite the power of the Spirit upon them. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. The fire that rested upon them, it looked to be like tongues. That's an interesting picture. I used to have all sorts of images in my mind of what that meant, like a lapping tongue or a human tongue, but it was a tongue of fire. Remember the last time you saw a bonfire or a crackling fire, campfire perhaps, You could easily describe the fire lapping against the wood or licking it like tongues, and that's more of the image that was probably in mind, and they probably saw the lapping of the fire, the flame that was not consuming them but was evident upon them. More significant than the description is the symbolism of what was meant to be received, to be experienced, that the Spirit was bringing a fire to them that would consume them, that would ultimately consume their tongues, that They would be witnesses. They would testify to who God is and what he has done. Remember, Jesus had said to them with some of his final words, Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will speak for me. You will give testimony about me. And they would go from there, obviously, to the ends of the earth, representing Jesus, proclaiming him, speaking for him. In that day, the nations were gathered in Jerusalem. Not only did they need to go and be sent ones, but they also needed to represent Jesus right where they were. That's why he said it begins in Jerusalem. From Jerusalem you will be my witnesses. Acts 2 verse 5, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, seemingly like our city today. Many had moved back to Jerusalem after centuries dispersed and scattered from the exile times of Israel's history some were coming back and many others came to Jerusalem for that feast of the harvest that feast of weeks as was part of their traditions to assemble to celebrate to worship together and so there were many that spoke all different kinds of languages assembled together in Jerusalem either Jews or Jewish sympathizers perhaps some proselytes that had converted to Judaism The first signs of the coming and the empowering of the Holy Spirit are to make the gospel known, to make the good news known, to make Jesus known. This is the primary purpose of every work of the Holy Spirit, to make God known, that we would know him more fully. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1.17 in his prayer for the Ephesian church. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you would know him more. See, for Paul, everything flows out of that. Everything. If we would know God more, we will know ourselves. We will know who we are and who we are not. We will know him and what he has called us to. And that's the primary, not the only, but the primary work of the Holy Spirit coming is to know God more and for his people to make him known to represent Him, to have our tongues consumed by Him, that we would speak of Him and for Him. These early disciples and apostles would be doing exactly that from this moment on, filled with the Spirit, making God known, bringing Him glory, telling of His mighty works. It's what they were proclaiming one to another when they were assembled, and when the power of the Spirit rested upon them, it's what they proclaimed, primarily through Peter, their spokesperson, to all who were gathered. So that 3,000 heard that day. Did 3,000 really hear in one moment from one sermon without amplification? Or did Peter speak and was it represented through the other followers so that it dispersed throughout the entire crowds? The testimony of that time was that everyone spoke of the kingdom of God. All of those followers. And they spoke to be heard and understood in every language that was assembled. So as some were speaking and some were hearing, apparently it was heard in different languages so that some said, what are they speaking? It's babbling, it's nonsense. They must be filled with new wine. Or as the NIV would translate it, they're drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning and they're drunk. Because that's what it sounded like as they proclaimed. It sounded like babbling. And yet they were speaking in other tongues, other languages that could be understood so that everyone who had assembled all of a sudden heard in their own their own tongue being proclaimed. I imagine them in the crowd then trying to find their way to that speaker where they could actually hear and understand what was being proclaimed. If you've ever attended a a service internationally or one perhaps a mass that was done completely in Latin, there's something, I remember some of the most powerful services we had were in Manila at a camp and we understood zero of what was being said. And yet I tell you what, the power of the spirit was translating it to our very souls. We were moved. We would look around and many of us are weeping, not understanding a word that was coming. The power of the Spirit translates. And while we weren't hearing audible English, it was translating to our soul. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I take the, the testimony of what is before us, that the Spirit worked in a powerful way to be understood and heard. He moved them. What a powerful sign this was, that He would be with them forever to proclaim the gospel. Not not meant to be always in this same way as if they would always need to speak in different tongues. But it was a sign to say, I will be with you wherever you go to the ends of the earth that you will be understood. I will give you the words to say. I will give you the wisdom and the knowledge and the power of the spirit as you enter in with your energy and your resources. Some have called Pentecost that day a reversal of what happened at Babel or Babel, depending on where you're from. In Genesis chapter 11, at Babel, people were unable to understand, but at Pentecost, they heard and they understood. At Babel, they sought to elevate their own name, but at Pentecost, they elevated the name of Christ. At Babel, people were divided and scattered, each to their own tongue, their own tribe, so to speak. At Pentecost, God was assembling and unifying a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Babel was a city of men to the exclusion of all others, with a tower and a wall to protect, to keep out, and to elevate. At Pentecost, a picture of heaven, God's city, to the inclusion of all, where all walls are broken down. This is the picture that we are given in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, John says, in his prophecy, I looked, and behold, a great multitude No one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pentecost, a small foretaste of heaven, a sign and a symbol, a picture of God-given unity amidst diversity distinction, but no division. We, we don't worship a tribal deity. We proclaim a God who loves and pursues all peoples, the creator and savior of all. And this is what being a spirit-filled and spirit-empowered church looks like, unity amidst diversity. There may be no greater miracle, and I can think of none that we need more in our world today than a unified people Amidst diversity. Is that not what the world needs to see? That by your love for one another and by your unity with one another, all people will know that you're my followers. Because the only way that could happen is if my spirit dwells upon you and in you. The spirit of God who loves all peoples. The prophetic words, the signs, the wonders, the healings that the spirit brings. And may it be God. May it be, Holy Spirit, bring words of knowledge, bring signs and wonders, bring miraculous healing, continue to do those same things that you did and did in that age. We believe, God. But the greatest work we need, the greatest miracle we need is unity in your spirit, unity in your church. I hope we're desperate for that kind of work, for that kind of miracle, that that's what we're singing today as we respond, that that's what we're praying for. That this is the description of a Pentecostal church. I've been asked many times, are we, are we a Pentecostal church? Is the alliance denomination a Pentecostal movement? If this is what you mean by Pentecostal, then absolutely. We are meant to be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, unified gospel proclaimers. May it be, God. Pentecost is meant to stand as a picture of the church throughout millennia, up to today and forever. And tragically, the church today is still divided and dividing. And especially for a city like ours and a time like the one we live in, we need to be unified and filled in the power of the Spirit. You know, there's more than 40 now, I don't have a a completely up-to-date stat, but more than 40 primary languages living within two miles of where we sit today, within households amongst us. The people of the nations and the world are here, are amongst us, as they were in Jerusalem that day. Verse 9 says there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites. Those are some ancient places and peoples that no longer exist, but they are Persians, Kurds and Iranians, the residents of Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus, Middle Easterns, primarily Arabians, from Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. These are Africans, northern Africans, Moroccans, Ethiopians, from Cyrene, Greeks, from Rome, Italians. The nations are amongst us. They are here. Praise God. All dividing walls have been broken down in the name of Christ, and Pentecost has proven that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul preached this in Ephesians 2, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one who has destroyed any barriers, any dividing walls of hostility by abolishing them in his flesh. For through him, we all have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of the household of God. All peoples invited in. This was the gospel for Paul. This was the good news of the kingdom for all peoples, for the world, that God's kingdom extends to all peoples without distinction or division. In Galatians 3.28, Paul said, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you too are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Wasn't this evident and on full display at Pentecost? the spirit show me no distinction or discrimination how dare we as peter quotes joel and i'll say it again in the last days god says i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants to the lowest status in your world i will pour out my spirit Upon men and women, and they will prophesy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'll say again if the Spirit of God shows no distinction or discrimination ethnically, socially, chronologically, biologically, how dare we, his church, today? And I would go as far as to say if we are, the Spirit is not in us and amongst us. How will we, all of us who call upon the name of the Lord, make him known, his good news, his gospel to all peoples? It must begin with unity in humility. From only that place will we have something good to share with our world that is hurting, broken, divided, discriminated against, abused, oppressed, and marginalized. In order to do that, we need to have a rhythm of being both sent ones and receivers. We've already been sent. The Spirit has already come to his church. It need not come again. We need not drum it up. And yet we can pray rightly as we will sing, God, make us more aware of your presence here. Fill us anew. Paul said we should be ever filled, refilled, refilled with the power of the Spirit, re-empowered because the mission of proclaiming him is so significant. We go, we find our desperation like we looked at last week, our need of him. We return and we say, Jesus, fill us. Give us again your power, your encouragement, your strength alone, that we might make you known in unity, in love, in holiness, and in righteousness for your namesake, for your glory, and for our joy. We now are this church. We are these sent ones, meant to be continually filled and empowered. And if you look around the room today, if we can call it that, we would be greatly discouraged in our own strength to accomplish anything of significance, wouldn't we? Who are we to represent Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom, in our own community, let alone the world? We are humbled and daunted. What do you think those 120 humbled together, gathered in fear, ultimately hiding from the world? were thinking about their ability to influence and change the world to the ends of the earth as Jesus said it would be. We are in good company when we are few and we are weak. Because then if anything happens, God gets the glory through and through. Just like the beginning of the alliance movement happened when A.B. Simpson, the founder, called friends and sympathizers to pray for the nations, come and gather. And he didn't think there would be many, but maybe a few dozen. He had some influence and some connections. And gathered on that cold November day in the late 1800s, six people showed up to pray for the nations, to pray for their own heart, to reach the immigrants, to reach the refugees coming into New York City and be on to the ends of the earth, to the peoples who had never heard the name of Jesus. And what they prayed was astounding. They prayed, thank you, God, that we are few and that we are weak, because then, if anything happens, you get the glory, all of it, for your namesake. Use us and send us, God. May that be our posture always. As we looked at last week, if we think we have the resources and have the abilities and have the plans and have the strategies to go out, it will be amazing what we accomplish without God and without the Spirit. But if we in desperation say, we have no hope apart from you moving, filling, blowing upon us, breathing life into us, that we might represent you, God may it be. Send us. So we are in good company. We've already been sent, but now as we gather and whenever we gather and assemble, may we be refilled and renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost. May we be renewed some nearly 2,000 years later as we enter into the same story, celebrating the heritage of God's work throughout the ages and his promise for the age to come. Will we pray earnestly? for workers into the harvest field? Will we pray for the abundant multiplication of God's harvest, 30, 60, a hundredfold that people would know him, be known by him, be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit for our city? If we're to be a picture of the kingdom, a picture of a greenhouse, life and light, diverse fruit, then we have no other hope but to cry out desperately for his filling and empowering Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And as we sing that, perhaps with opened hands, you're welcome here in our midst. Perhaps we'd also lay a hand on a heart and say, you're welcome here again. Refill, renew, as we sing, awaken. Awaken my spirit within me, Holy Spirit. Are we not desperate for a move of the spirit? God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May it begin with us. We call upon your name, Lord, in the power of the Spirit. Bring your sozo. As we've, many of us have already entered into the kingdom, we're praying, save us, God, now. Save us from our fears, our anxiety, our depression, our uncertainties, the the living death that we often experience, not just the fear of a death one day, but the fear of insignificance, the the overconsumption that we have, the numbing that we find ourselves continually drawn to and those rhythms save us, God, deliver us, fill us anew. It's a God-sized, God-ordained vision. May it be, Lord, we pray. Team, why don't you come and I'll pray and invite us into this response time. Father, we thank you for being with us, and we will sing these prayers. We'll sing of your fullness. We'll sing of your breath upon us. May it be God. We are humbled and we are daunted when we start to enter into your kingdom commission to be witnesses, testifiers, to have our tongues consumed by the power of your spirit. We wonder even what we will say and what difference will it make. Thank you Jesus, for reminding your disciples. Do not worry about what you will say. Just go and be. And when you are there, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. May we be faithful, God, by our obedience and our response to you. May we grow in our faith and even our understanding of you present and at work in our world. God, I pray for each one. We each need a new filling, a refilling of your spirit, a reminder of your presence and your power unto your glory, Lord, whatever you would do in and through us for your glory. We want it all. Some need an actual healing touch, Lord, and have prayed and longed for it and sought you continually. May that be renewed today and may you heal. God, give us words to encourage one another, words of knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we are in awe of your glory, that we all would prophesy. We all would make you known and know you more fully. Lord, as we go from this place, I pray that we walk in the confidence of your spirit with us, being reminded of who we are because of who you are, of what you have done and therefore what you will always do, of your coming kingdom, one unified with every people, tribe, tongue, and nation. We repent, Lord, of our divisions. We repent, Lord, of our self-centeredness. We pray that we would hear and we would listen from others. We would receive and show hospitality and grace, that we would not compromise the hope and the truth and the love of your gospel and your kingdom, but that all would hear and know that you are good and that you love them forever and ever. Amen.